You know, God set motion into his authority of time. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. And I'm Janice. And we are studying the Bible on Bible Discovery. It is great to have you with us as we explore Leviticus chapter 19, the laws of God or the letters of Moses. These are very, very good. And as we study them, we'll find out some fascinating things coming up in three minutes time. Corey is here. Corey, what's going on? I'm taking a look at more strange laws from Leviticus. <laughs> Ryan? Well, today my segment is all about the challenges that Leviticus posed for first century Jews and Christians. All right, very good. Look forward to all of that coming up. Janice, what are you doing? Well, being that this is a Friday, we have our Friday wrap-up question. I'm going to put Ryan and Corey on the spot, and I'm going to look to you for your answer at home. Anywhere from Exodus 37 to Leviticus 21. All right, take your Bible guide out, turn to Leviticus 19, and let's explore the Word of God. Leviticus 19, 1 through 8. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. And if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. I love Leviticus. It's a book of Moses. And uh, the Bible is intense on this. And I need to say that it's a book of Moses, but it's also of God because God communicated with Moses through his Holy Spirit. That becomes very important. Today, we're going to look at Leviticus 19. The time is confined that was set in place by God Almighty. Did you get that? And the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that there is a time for everything, a time for a season, and a time for every purpose under heaven. Now, there are 28 examples given, some of which are a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what has been planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. In other words, time is not an accident of nature. All of time is known and understood by God. It is interesting then that the Lord put time limits and requirements as part of Israel's offerings. It was very important that they followed God's instructions so that their offerings would be accepted as holy. If God's instructions weren't followed, then 
the offerings became profane or unacceptable. Now, this is really important. Keep that in mind. So today, as we focus on this, I need to say that we need to understand that God is communicating time and he's communicating with us. Now, take your Bible guide, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible guide, you can call us or write to us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, you can click on the Bible guide. It'll take you to the place where you can order your Bible guide exactly how we printed it and it uh, comes to you immediately. So it's very, very good. Now it's important for us in the book of Leviticus, in the book, the five books of, of Moses here at the beginning of the Bible to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us because we will take our ideas and put them in the Bible, but we need to not do that. We need to listen to what the word of God says and understand it in context to understand what it's saying. So father, I pray today that you would help us to see this in context. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Make it so, may it be so. Very important. So as we have prayed, let's look at the Bible in Leviticus chapter 19. Here is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord, your God. Isn't that interesting? You see, God set in motion his structure of authority. Today, God's authority is often mocked. But believers in Jesus Christ still abide by God's authority. God's authority involves the understanding that he's the one who displayed it. He's the one who gave it to us. He's the one who gave us authority. He's the one who brought to us parents. He's the one who brought to us the idea of abiding by authority. And to abandon that is just totally unbelievable. And we need to pay attention to that because I've noticed that in today's news and some of the things I see on television, on the internet, listened to on radio, everybody's rebelling against authority. That's not the idea. The believer doesn't rebel against authority. We understand that God is ultimately in authority over all the governments of the earth. But some of the governments don't listen to God, especially if you are not a government who believes in God. But those of us who do believe in God, we hear God and we listen to him. And he has put in authority certain places that we need to praise God. Now, that's fascinating. We won't get too much on that. Let's go forward because this gets interesting here in verse four. It says, do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord, your God. Did you hear what he said? He said, idols are not gods. We have to make our lives about the Lord. Nothing else can truly help us. There is no other way to have satisfaction. There is no other way to have the ability to, to be able to become happy, to be able to become content, to be able to fulfill our lives rightly, unless 
We make our lives about something other than ourselves. <laughs> and that is God. Make our lives about what God said. Now, God speaks to us and tells us specifically how to respond. He tells us how to act. He tells us how to treat each other. He speaks to us in his word to communicate to us. But if we reject his word, if we get rid of his word, then it's all, it's everybody's up on his own. And that is not cool. You know, I was with somebody the other day and they said to me, it's interesting because he has a lot of young people coming into his barber shop. And he says, they're saying something to me. They're saying, let's get back to religion. Everybody's out here now. We don't have any kind of order. We need to get back to some solid religion. Isn't that interesting? Well, the solid religion is the word of God is the Bible. That's Jesus Christ. He gave us who we serve. And everybody should understand that. As Christians, we know that God is the creator of everybody. All right, let's go on with verse five. This gets even more interesting. It says, and if you offer a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, and you shall offer it of your own free will, it shall be eaten the same day. Listen to this. The same day you offer it and on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, this it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord. And the person shall be cut off from his people. Which brings me to this point. God meant for time to limit us. God meant for time to limit us. Let's spend our time for God and not waste it on things that are evil. One of these years, I'm going to get back to it. One of the greatest books ever written is uh, God's Law. It's about God's Law. It's called None of These Diseases by Dr. S.I. McMillan and his grandson who updated it. But it is brilliant. And it talks about God's laws and how they are used to protect us if we pay attention to it, because it deals with germs and all of the things we cannot see. It deals with that. We need to pay attention to that. But more importantly, let's understand that God has given us time. Our lives have a specific amount of time. God knows what they are. And we need to give our lives to the Lord. Give our lives to the Lord. That's very important. If you haven't, I would invite you to do so. Pray. Say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. You died on the cross and you rose again in the flesh. And I believe it. Be the Lord of my life. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so today as we finish up the book of Leviticus, I want to talk about some of the challenges that first century Jews and Christians had with it. 
Of course, when this third book of the law was first given to God's people, its commands were pretty straightforward, such as the sacrifices, the purity laws, and so on. But then fast forward to the first century AD. For these Jews and Christians, Leviticus posed several issues, albeit for different reasons. Hey guys, it's Ryan Hembry here, and in this video, I want to talk about the book of Leviticus and how it posed challenges to first century Jews and Christians. So grab your Bibles and let's go. Okay, so Leviticus, it's kind of an important book. As a matter of fact, it's central to the Mosaic Law, and yet it posed quite a few challenges for first century Jews and Christians alike. I mean, imagine yourself for a minute as an observant Jew living in the time after the Romans had sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in AD 70. How on earth were you supposed to carry on with the ritualistic temple sacrifices commanded by God in Leviticus? And on top of that, with no sacrifices, there was also no need for priests as officials at those sacrifices. So how were priestly families to obey the regulations set out in Leviticus for them? Without a temple, Jews were suddenly faced with these issues and more, including the purity of priests, the Jewish family, and dietary regulations. Well, in response to these challenges, post-temple rabbis emphasized prayer and substituted the performing of the sacrificial laws with the study of them. In fact, the medieval scholar Maimonides argued that sacrifice was merely a concession to human frailty and never really God's intention. In other words, he believed God gave the Jews sacrifices because of their human need and want to have rituals similar to those practiced by the worshippers of other deities. But what did this mean for priests? Well, even though they were now out of a job, priestly families did continue to hold to Levitical laws of purity, especially in regard to marriage and contact with the dead. Observant Jews also preserved the purity of the Jewish family life by observing the ban on a woman's having intercourse for seven days for her monthly period and circumcising male babies. And the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11 were not only retained, but also carried out strictly in traditional families. So it's easy to see how Jews who lived after the temple was destroyed struggled with how to follow certain laws in Leviticus. But it wasn't just post-temple Jews who had issues with it. First century Christians also faced certain challenges related to Leviticus, like sacrifice, circumcision, and dietary regulations. Now, ultimately, under the leadership of Paul the Apostle, the New Testament church concluded that such works were unnecessary for salvation. And later Christian scholar Origen articulated a theory of scripture interpretation that distinguished the literal from the more important spiritual meaning discerned by typology. Hence, the sacrifices described in Leviticus constituted a typology and prediction of Christ, whose sacrifice was superior to and fulfilled the system outlined in Leviticus. Now, of course, even before Origen, the Holy Spirit-inspired author of Hebrews had drawn the exact same conclusion. Therefore, when Christ Jesus came as the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, the sacrificial system was no longer necessary. In fact, it was never meant to be permanent, nor was it meant to provide righteousness and salvation, nor to take away sins. Rather, its role was to point us to the only one who can, Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, Jews who reject him are forced to remain locked up under the law, which doesn't save, rather than receiving freedom in Christ, who does save. So the animal sacrifices were never meant to be permanent, but was given to point us to Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law through his sinless life and sacrifice on the cross. 
Under the New Testament or covenant, Jesus himself provides that righteousness to all who put their trust on him. How awesome is that? Now, I also just wanted to mention that if you want to see the final cut, the full cut rather of this video, then you're going to have to head over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Ryan Hembry. Because there are no time limits on YouTube, I'm able to go into a lot more detail. And also remember to subscribe and click on that notification bell. That way, when I upload new videos, you'll be instantly notified. And also, please feel free to share these videos with your family and friends. It's important to remember that and to remind people to subscribe to you and all of that. So that's very mm. important. Keep that in mind. Very good. Uh, excellent. All right. Go ahead, Corey. All right. In the biblical books of the law, we read things that seem pretty odd, as I'm sure you've noticed, uh, and things that have proven confusing to Bible readers. Uh, for our reading today, which is Leviticus 18 to 21, we see Leviticus 18 providing a list of sexual ethics, then Leviticus 19 covering a bunch of laws that range from the seemingly reasonable do not deceive one another in verse 11 to the puzzling do not plant your field with two kinds of seed in verse 19, or how about do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on them, I am the Lord, of verse 28. Leviticus 20 then goes on to talk about prescribed penalties for certain sins, which strike most of us today as very harsh laws and punishments. Luckily for us, though, if we look carefully, the scriptures themselves actually give us the justification or the reason for most of these laws. So several passages give reasons, like Leviticus 18, verse 24 to 25, which says, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you became defiled. Even the land was defiled, so I punished it for its sin, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Also, look at Leviticus 20, verses 22 to 23, which says, Keep all my decrees and laws and follow them, so that the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. You must not live according to the customs of the nations I am going to drive out before you. Because they did all these things, I abhorred them. Okay, so God is using the nations as a sort of what not to do guide for Israel. These laws of God were not thought of in a vacuum. God was not establishing Israel based off of an ideal society. Instead, he was creating rules for them based off of known practices of the culture surrounding Israel. They were already part of a culture that had norms, sinful norms. But God did not want Israel to mimic the morality of these other nations. He wanted Israel to be different. He routinely calls it being set apart and being holy because he is a holy God. He's different from other gods and his ways are therefore different than other people's ways. So what I'm saying here is that by looking at these laws, we can see the morality of God as contrasted to the morality of ancient people groups in and around Canaan. So God's morality is exposed, which is a great thing, but it's exposed in a specific way, isn't it? And because we're no longer familiar with the pop culture of ancient Israel's day, a lot of these laws seem really odd to us but ancient Israel knew exactly where they were coming from. And we can be sure that they made a lot of sense in their time and context. And we can illustrate it this way. 
If you or I were making a set of rules for how this up and coming generation of young people should follow God in our Western culture of today, that list of laws would get into the specifics of our pop culture. A list like that would look a lot different than it would have even say a hundred years ago. Cultures have different patterns of sin and vice. Now, I probably don't need to say this, but I'm going to. To us Christians, the laws we're reading about in Leviticus are not laws for us because we are not ancient Israel. We are not in that kind of covenant relationship with God. We're in a different covenant relationship with God that's arbitrated by Christ Jesus. His righteousness has been applied to us. We're not working for our salvation. When we are saved, we begin to make our lives Christ honoring and we do begin to change our behavior. And here, the biblical law helps us because it can help us derive God's morality as we begin to track it through to the New Testament. Now, it's also true that the kingdom of God from a human perspective is multicultural. Rather than culture-specific rules, we need to follow the general morality of God, which can be found in the Bible. The record of the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15 recognized this as well. God had been saving Gentile people of different cultures and filling them with his spirit outside of Judaism, outside of the Mosaic law. And I think this is why the only constraints the church gave the new Gentile converts were minimalistic. They were against the pagan culture of that day, and probably they were just enough to not totally offend Jewish Christians. They're definitely worth looking at in Acts 15 if you're not familiar with them. I think it's important to also realize that um, people will say, well, I'm not under the Old Testament law, therefore I can do what I want. And they, <laughs> I've, heard this, yeah, yeah. I've heard this excuse used when we're moving the Ten Commandments. Yes. They say, no, I don't have to obey the Ten Commandments because I'm, I'm under Christ. I'm not under the law. Right. Okay. So when we say we're not under the law, we mean we're not, we're not following the law for our salvation. We're not, that's not the way it works, right? We come to Christ and Christ fulfilled the law for us, right? The Apostle Paul talks about it, how it was a burden that not even the Jewish people could carry. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and that, and we read in Hebrews how God credited as faith, as righteousness to these men and women of old, their trust in God. So basically their belief that what he said was true. So they weren't even following the law for their salvation it was actually impossible. Even though God had had a system of sacrifice that they still needed to follow through, that's part of trust in God. If you trust God when he says you need to sacrifice an animal, you're going to sacrifice an animal, yeah. right? But we're no longer under that system. However, the morality of God hasn't changed, so which the is moral what I'm, factor, yeah, the moral which is factor. what I'm trying to point out here where it's like these, some of these specific laws, they don't really apply to our culture. Exactly. The morality still does. Mm-hmm. But if God was going to write a mosaic law to us right now, there'd be different elements of our culture. I'm sure that would be in here in black and white. But fortunately, we don't have to do that because we have Christ and Christ. Yeah. When we come to Christ, it becomes a motivational thing. It's like James says, faith without works is dead. What he's talking about is we have faith and the faith drives us to live for Christ. And when we live for Christ, we realize that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Jewish law in that sense. He did it. So we follow him Mm -hmm. and uh, he is the one with his Holy Spirit who helps us do it. So we don't do it ourselves. 
Exactly. But the and Holy it, Spirit yeah. through us. And what did Jesus say? If you're my friends, you'll do what I command. Well, exactly. Right? So it's not like, oh, I have Jesus free for all. I'm going to use my, gr- yeah, I'm going to use God's grace as an opportunity to sin. When you read through the New Testament, you know, if people say, well, I, I don't have to follow any sort of moral code because Jesus saved me. They clearly haven't read what Jesus said or what the, the apostles of Jesus that he empowered with his right. authority also taught. And there's in principles the there. It's important to follow through. That are How absolutely will- true in Deuteronomy 7. Yeah. There's principles that if you follow me and honor me, yeah. then I will make a way for you even when it seems. There's impossible. principles that are absolutely true all the way throughout yeah. the Mosaic law. It's just, it can, it can seem weird to us because we're so far removed from that culture, I think. Hmm. Very interesting. Huh. Very <laughs> good discussion. Really good. Very okay. good discussion. All right. Well, that leaves us a minute 28 for the for questions. The question. yeah. So here we go. It was going to be anywhere from Exodus 37 through to Leviticus 21. Here you go, Ryan and Corey on the spot. And those of you at home that play along in the making of the table for the showbread, four rings were cast as holders for the poles to bear the table. And they were placed at the four corners of the frame at its four legs. What were the four rings cast of? Bronze, silver, or gold? There's discussions happening over here. Bronze. <laughs> I'm not saying a word. Bronze. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think silver. That's what I thought too. Or gold. Yeah. What were these rings cast of? So we're what not 100% on this, but we're pretty mm-hmm. sure. Pretty sure. Yes. Pretty sure. We're going to go with gold. Okay. Yes, I second that opinion. All right. Well. <laughs> Let's take a look at Exodus 37, verse 13. It's gone on in the verses previous, talking about the design of the table and how it's been built and what it's been covered with. And then verse 13 says, And he cast for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that were at its four legs. So if you said what Ryan and Corey said, if you answered that the rings were cast of gold, you are absolutely right. So way to go. And if you didn't get it right, well, wait till next Friday. There'll be another question and I'm sure you'll get that one. It's important. I want to thank you if you have been giving to this program. The giving is truly an amazing help. We don't write a lot of form letters and do all of that. We just won't do that because so many people are doing that. But what we do is we trust in God's Holy Spirit. And so many people have given. And that helps us. Very, very important. Today, let's pray. Lord, help me today to respond to you in all of the things that you have cued us 
in television, in the internet, in radio. Help us today. Amen.